Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, find us on the web at revivallifechurch.org. And that also welcome up Pastor Carl with me. Hug somebody as you get a seat. Hallelujah. 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 Just as a public service announcement, um, this service ends at 1230 normally. Today we're not normal though, so if you've made plans based on our 1230 time, feel free to leave when you feel like you need to go, right? There's... Uh, but some of us are going to stay and get get rocked at the end. Amen. I'm uh, I'm receiving um, I'm receiving the offering for <clears throat> for Josh and Olivia. Hallelujah. 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 I'm receiving the offering for Josh and Olivia. <clears throat> so uh, you know while you're giving, just keep your heart open. First Corinthians 16. <clears throat> it's been a good weekend, right? Yeah. Natalia's gotten it. Paul had already told the people he's going to take up an offering for Jerusalem. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, he said, On the first day of the week, each one of you is, is to put... Now, this is really funny because now we, we tell people to give so you can get rich. Right? And he gives them all kind of self-centered reasons to give. And Paul just said like this, On the first day of the week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections may be made when I'm coming. He's like, listen... I need all y'all to start giving because I don't even want to have to take an offering when I get there. Have the money ready. <laughs> Can you imagine in the church if we said, <clears throat> we're going to have an offering next week and don't make us have an offering, have the offering ready. <clears throat> Most people wouldn't come back to that church. But Paul knew what was going on. I'm just going to try to clear my throat. <clears throat> and here, here's the deal. I know Josh and Olivia. I've spent time with them. These are not wealthy people. Uh, Olivia talked about how she used to make, used to work outside the home. She still does, right? That's, you know, spoiler alert. She actually still does. And uh, it's kind of crazy. People who have works on three continents are still supporting themselves financially. A little crazy, right? And uh, that's nobody in here's burden. That's the burden of Jesus. Amen. You do your part and you give as God leads you. <clears throat> so we're going to give. You make your checks out to Revival Life Church. And in the, in the, in the little um, note section, just put special offering or missions or whatever you want. All that's going to go to them. If you're going to give online, uh, put in the notes again, uh, special offering and all that. We even eat the PayPal fees on that. Uh, if you need a cash offering envelope to give, raise your hand and Usher will give it to you. And while we're doing that, while you're getting ready to give, if you're not sure if this offering is for you, just ask Jesus, are missions important to you, Lord? <clears throat> and should I store up my treasure here or should I give it to missions? Just ask Jesus. We don't want to tell you what to do. Just ask Jesus. And also, let me say this. If you're a person of greater means, um, they, they have no problem giving, like, if you feel like the Lord has given you a number and you want to give it, like, bypass us and give it toward a project. So, you know, if you have 10, 20, 30, $50,000 that you want to sell, and to some of you that sounds laughable, but <clears throat> if you have means and you understand what it takes to start projects in different countries and build buildings and all that, they have projects, they have more vision than, than you could believe. And they have 
a place for your giving, I promise you. Uh, they were just telling me about a $30,000 gift they recently got, and they were able to build a school and a, a missions training center in two different continents. Um, and so, if like again, if you're a person of means and you want to fund a project, chances are God has just birthed a project in their heart waiting to get funded, right? I mean, it just is how God does it. <clears throat> he, he, he gives them a, a vision. At the same time, he births um, a, need, a, a desire to give at the same time. So... Um, and so, again, you can just talk to them directly. We don't have to be in the middle of that. And actually, if you want to do that, we prefer you do it that way. <clears throat> um, uh, yeah, I really feel like there's something on that, though. I really feel like that's for somebody, maybe on the podcast, maybe in the room. Um, and again, you can see them after service. They're not hard to find. So hold your gift. Father, we love you. We thank you that you multiply it. And Lord, um, we ask that you would multiply it. Uh, we don't give this to get, but we pray that you would multiply it in the missions field. We pray that you would stretch this supernaturally the way you can do it. You can multiply it supernaturally the way you do it in the mission field. So you would use it to multiply souls, multiply buildings, multiply churches, multiply works. Lord, uh, of those um, women that uh, Olivia talked last week that they rescue from the brothels, Father, we pray that you would multiply that, and you would multiply their rehabilitation and their, and their redemption, Father. We just pray that you would do supernatural things with our money. We thank you that we can earn it. We thank you that we're in a prosperous land. Uh, we thank you that we have food to eat and shelter, and we pray that you would bless this offering. We give it to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen, amen, amen. amen. Go ahead and pass the buckets. <clears throat> Fire the Holy Ghost upon you. <clears throat> The fire of the Holy Ghost upon you. We got enough missionaries and ministers that were cooked at 175. We need some missionaries, ministers, pastors, evangelists that have been cooked at 450 for an hour and a half. Amen? So just cook it real good, Jesus. Hey, how many of you have been here this weekend in our meetings? That's it? That's it, really? How many have been here in the, this weekend? I mean, <clears throat> They've been really good. Last night was amazing, wasn't it? The word that came forth was... Whew, that revelation was... <clears throat> no, but, um, but Josh has really been preaching, like really just been sharing just fire. If you missed this morning service, I want to, I want to tell you, listen to it online because a different message was preached this morning. It was preached by Olivia, and it was so... <clears throat> just get a box of tissue... Rope off 40 minutes and just listen to it, right? Um, and, uh, but Josh is going to come up. Josh is the uh, leader of Kaleo. Uh, Kaleo has works in Mexico and in Africa and in the Middle East and in Asia, which actually is where the Middle East is in Asia. But he's got works everywhere, doing lots of great stuff. And uh, I don't want to take too much time. I believe he has a video that they're going to have queued up. And uh, you want me to just play that before you come up? Or you? Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to dim the lights. Uh, we're going to play a video uh, that Kaleo has brought, and then uh, Josh is going to come up, and I want you to receive him when he comes up. Amen? You ready, Tech? Yeah. They're ready. Let's do Do the lights and play the video. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. In the Greek language, the strongest word for calling is the word kaleo. It is more than just a call. It is a summons by a king. That all the world will praise your great name. Kaleo International 
is a movement of missionaries, ministries, and churches that have answered that call. We are a tribe with a passion to preach the gospel to the unreached, to go to the darkest places of our world, to love not our lives so much as to shrink from death, to feed the poor, to heal the sick, and to equip the body of Christ. individuals, communities, regions, and nations transformed by the love of Jesus. If you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand. At Kaleo, we have heard the summons of our King, and we are willing to go no matter what the price. Spirit. Ah, Jesus. Jesus is good. Jesus is good. Wow. Let's just stand just one more minute. Let's just thank Holy Spirit for being here. Lord, we thank you that you are with us, God. We thank you, God, that you have said you will never leave us. Ah, we thank you that your presence is here with us, God. Lord, would you come, hey, and crash into this place and may we experience more of your glory than we've ever known before. May we experience more of your fire than we've ever experienced before. Take us to a deeper place in your spirit than we've ever been before, God. In the name of Jesus, we bless you, we honor you, we praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Wow. Oh, well, it's so good to be with you. It is really strong up here. <laughs> I had a lot of thoughts in my head before I got up here and boom. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> I understand how you felt up here. Woo. It's intense. There is a lot of glory in this place. Wow. Mm, come on. Hey, Marasa. <laughs> Holy. I want to share with you today really about the next step in your process and what it looks like to follow after God with all of your heart. What it looks like to follow after God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know, we, we shared on Friday night, I preached on Friday night about the fire and the purifying fire of God. When Moses met the fire of God on Mount Sinai, or not Mount Sinai, I'm sorry, but the burning bush, when Moses met the fire of God and how it purified him, how it transformed him. But what I want to share with you tonight is like after you've encountered the fire, what next? What happens after you've encountered that fire? What happens after you've received your call of God? What do you do to sustain the call of God on your life? Because it's not enough just to begin well. It's not enough just to experience a great re revival, a great power of the Holy Spirit in the beginning. How do you sustain that over years? That's the question. That's the question that has been on my heart since God called me into ministry. For me, I'll share a little bit of my story. When I was nine years old, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I was. I grew up in a church that didn't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to say which abomination. I mean, denomination they were part of or anything like that. But they didn't believe in the power of the Holy. Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> but but I did. I, we're not going to say anything about that. 
but um, we didn't believe, they didn't believe, actually they taught from the pulpit that, that the power of the Holy Spirit, tongues, the charismatic gifts had ended with the, when the last apostle died. But I was in the children's department, and there were some missionaries who I think were actually secret charismatics. And uh, they were there from West Africa. I don't know how they got into speaking at that church, but they got relegated to the nine-year-old Sunday school class on a mission Sunday. And they were there speaking to nine-year-olds about their work. They were translating Bibles. They were Bible translators in West Africa. They were translating the Bible into a language called Fong, which uh, they had never had the Bible in their language before. And so they were talking about unreached ethnic groups that had never had the gospel before in their own language and never even heard the name of Jesus in their own language. And so I remember sitting there nine years old, and I was thinking to myself, wow, someone really needs to do something about this. I'm glad there are people doing something about this, but someone needs to do more. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me nine years old in a church that didn't believe God still spoke. And if you did speak, you means you were having psychological issues. And I remember sitting there, you know, nine years old, and I hear the Holy Spirit speak to me. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me, and he says, my son, I'm calling you, and I'm going to send you. You're going to go around the world. You're going to preach the gospel. You're going to reach unreached ethnic groups with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I remember being nine years old and, and just sitting there. Actually, I was like, God, how can that be? I don't, I don't understand. I can't believe it. Um, but the Holy Spirit spoke and said, yes, this is what it will be. And I just simply believed him. And I believed him, and it was like a seed got planted in my heart. And that seed never left. It never disappeared. And even through teenage years, when all of my friends were, were running off and leaving God, out of all the friends I have from back in the teenage years, I don't know very many. I think maybe one or two of them are really serving God. I don't know anyone that I grew up with that's still really serving God. But when all of them were, were, were partying and doing all those things, it never tempted me, not because I didn't think it looked like fun, but because I had a purpose. Because God has spoken to me. You know, I think the problem in our, in our world today is not the fact that we, young people are just, it's not the fact that there's too much temptation for young people. The fact is there's no purpose. That's the problem. The real problem for people today is not, it's not all the temptation in the world. The temptation in the world is, is the same it's always been. If you read the book of Genesis on, there's always been temptation. There were two people in the Garden of Eden, and there was still temptation, and they still sinned. So the temptation has always been around. We talk, we try to combat issues in our culture. It's not just the issues in the culture. It is the issue in the church, the fact that we've never taught people to find a purpose from God. We've not taught people how to hear God's voice and to seek Him out and find your purpose because once you know your purpose from God, when God has spoken into your life, no, things from the world don't tempt you anymore. They don't look as tempting. They don't look as fun anymore because when you have heard from God, hey, Nothing else can change you from the path where God has you. Ha. So being nine years old, God spoke, and I just, I just believed him. So going fast-forwarding a little bit, I, uh, first mission trip I went on, I was 16. And, you know, some people uh, rag on short-term mission trips and this and that. I'll tell you, that short-term mission trip changed my life. And on that short-term mission trip, I went and I met people who walked in faith. They, now, they had to be, because of the, the denomination we were coming from, the, the, the Christians there had to be very uh, a little bit secretive about their charismatic walk. These were African believers, and they walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of them just didn't care, and they'd pray in tongues. I thought they were praying in African languages, and uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't know, I didn't know anything about it. And uh, but I remember being there and encountering people that had raised the dead, and I, encountering people that had done great miracles, and I'm thinking, wow. This would be amazing. Fast forwarding a little bit further, God called me and I began to work in Sudan when I was right out of high school. 
And I remember going to Sudan for the first time, but that was before it split, became South and North Sudan. It's actually South Sudan now where I was. But I, the first time I went there, the Lord just spoke to me so clearly. My, bless my parents' heart, they thought that I had lost my mind because I'm going, I'm right out of high school, I'm going into this war zone, South Sudan, uh, with some people I didn't even know <laughs> that, that were going and that they said I could go with them and, and help with this church planting team. And so we go into this town and I'm just, it's okay if I share some stories, because we go into this town, and in this town there was there was no church. It was a smaller village, and in that town they were all from another religion, and not not Christianity. They were from another religion, and so as we go into this town, we're uh, we're greeted by soldiers at the at the at the uh, at the entrance, and they tell us they say, you know, I know what you our chief has given you permission to be in our town, but we want you to know that the LRA, who was a a rebel group that supposedly Use the name of Christ, uh, Joseph Coney. Some of you probably heard about him. His organization had come through and killed about twenty something, I think twenty eight people, uh, the, two weeks before we got there. And so it was still a very active war zone. And so they said, you know, these people came through and they said they were Christians and they killed our people in the, your God's name. So if you preach your gospel here, we'll kill you, all of you. And so that's not something they prepare you for in Bible school. And so they're like, you can be here, but if you preach, we'll kill you. So I'm thinking, I, I did not get, pre- I'm not prepared for this. I have no idea what to do. And I remember being there walking around that village. I said, you can be here. They said, but we're going to watch you. We're going to follow you and we're going to see what you do. So I'm going along and I'm with one of the local pastors and we're just going and praying. And all I didn't, I didn't, couldn't speak in tongues. I never been baptized in the Holy Spirit in those days. I didn't know anything about charismatic walk at all. All I knew was I just, I just remembered the words of the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm just walking around praying that prayer. And, uh, and, and as we're walking around, this drunk soldier walks up to me and he says to me in Arabic, Elijah, my white guy. He said, come and, come and pray for my wife, one of my wives. She's dying. And I said, okay, I'll come. So he was drunk and he had a gun and he, I'm just, I couldn't argue with him. So I said, all right, I'll come with you. And so he, he, uh, he led me to his house or kind of rather followed me to his house. And we followed this really winding trail because he was drunk out of his mind. And we finally somehow or another found his way to his house. And he comes in and he just kind of collapses in the corner. And there's this woman that's just laying on a little grass mat, just completely I mean, I, I don't know if she was fully dead or not, but she was, our eyes were glassed over, her eyes were stare, staring, but there was no life in them. And she had the death rattle sound in her throat. And I came in and my first thought was, I have no idea what to do, God. I am not prepared for this. I don't even know if I believe in He. I don't even, I don't know. All I can think, there's this, you know, you ever been in a swirl where it's like your thoughts are swirling around you and you're like, I don't even know if I believe in this, but here I am. And I'm the only one. And there's where are the people of faith and power for the hour? They weren't there. Just me. You know, sometimes when things happen, it's your opportunity to step forward because you start looking around. Okay, where's pastor? Where's, where's the man of faith? Where's the woman of God? Where's the man of God? And maybe sometimes God is saying, I'm calling you because you are called to be a man or woman of God. And so I went in and I laid hands on her. I just remember praying that verse. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And I nailed down by her. And as I laid hands on her, I just started praying those words. And all of a sudden, after about 10, 15 minutes of prayer, we're in this dark, dark mud hut. There's no windows in it. We're laying hands. And all of a sudden, she sits straight up. I almost had a heart attack. It was the most terrifying thing that had ever happened to me up to that point in my life. 
Because suddenly she went from like dying and like almost dead on the floor to boom, sitting straight up looking at me. We're looking like about a foot, a foot apart. And all I could think was try to act like you've done this before. <laughs> try to act like this is normal. My heart's going boom, 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 boom. And all I could think was try to act like you've done this before. Try to act like this is normal. Try to act like this. Because it didn't phase the African pastor. He was like, oh, yeah, we do this all the time. But for me, I was like, my theology just got completely wrecked and completely destroyed. Everything I've ever been taught, everything I thought I knew about healing the sick, no, this, is, this, is, this is the reality. And I experienced in that moment the reality of the kingdom of heaven. So because of that, her husband got born again. Actually, he screamed and he became the evangelist of the village. And uh, he, had no, he didn't actually take time to get born again in that moment. He screamed because his wife was walking around and serving him and she brought us food and chairs and things like that. And he takes off running and he's screaming in the village, my wife's alive, my wife's alive, my wife's alive. So naturally, he brings all the other soldiers, the same ones who said they'd kill us. The same people that had said, you can't preach the gospel. And all of a sudden, all we our hut where that lady was was surrounded by parents bringing their children who had measles, who had polio, who had other diseases, and we were laying hands on them, and the power of God moved. And those, hey, those same soldiers who said, we'll kill you if you preach this gospel here, were the first ones to put down their guns and say, we'll follow your God, because it's your God that really has power. So after that, I began to hunger. I'd always had a hunger, but I began to have even a greater hunger for God, there must be more to the supernatural walk than what I've ever imagined before. There has to be more to this than what I've dreamed of. There has to be more. I've seen it now, and I can never let go. And so after that, I went to Uganda. I went to northern Uganda. There was a great revival happening there. And it was in the middle of, they were, they were in the middle of the LRA wars in northern Uganda at that time, but it was toward the end of it. And uh, there was a great revival where they had actually, by prayer and fasting, had driven out the LRA, the, the rebels, out of northern Uganda. And it's one of the greatest untold stories of revival in Africa is how the Christians in Uganda drove out the rebels through prayer and fasting. And they actually went and destroyed the altar sites of this rebel cult. Amazing miracle story, but for another time. And so I went into this in the middle of this revival. And man, all, I was watching all of these African brothers, oh, filled with fire and power. And uh, they would get up at six in the morning and pray. Praying in tongues. And you know, Africans, they don't, they don't pray quietly at all. These Africans, they don't shut up. And I'm, I'm, I'm all, I, I'd come from straight denominational church to this. And I'm in there, I'm trying to pray with them. I'm thinking, I don't know how to pray with these, these brothers at all. These guys are, man, they had fire. They had power. They, in their services, it was deliverance service. They casting devils out of people. People being slain on the, in the, in the spirit on the ground all around. And I'm standing in the back of the service as far away from the anointing as I could possibly get, because it was, it was quite terrifying to me. And I'm watching all this stuff happening. And uh, finally, I went up to one of the pastors, and I'm like, brother, I said, what do you have that I don't have? I said, because you have something I don't have. And they said, brother, you need the fire of the Holy Spirit. They said, you need the fire. And I said, what is the fire of the Holy Spirit? I said, I want it, whatever it is. They said, we will lay hands upon you, and you shall receive the fire. And I said, I want it. <laughs> You like my African accent? <laughs> and so they laid hands on me, and the fire of God came. Fire of God came on me, and I started speaking in tongues. 
and I, I, I never heard people speak, well, I'd heard people speak in tongues. I thought they were speaking their local languages. And so when they prayed for me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I started speaking just like them. So I was so excited. So I went out on the street that next day. I'm like coming up to people. Because I thought for surely, for sure God had given me a choli, which was their language. And I thought, oh, this is awesome. God gave me a choli. I found out it didn't quite always work that way. But uh, it sometimes does. But it didn't work that way for me in the beginning, at least. And so I began this spirit-filled walk. And the spirit-filled walk was unlike anything I'd ever, I'd ever experienced. And I went back to the same church, and they had no idea what to do with me. It, it was both terrifying and exciting for them at the same time. They loved that people were being saved, but they were like, okay, let's let, and so they gradually, uh, gradually got sidelined a little bit. And, uh, but I began to experience more of the power of God as I pressed in. We pressed in more and more and more. Um, people was like, we can't deny the miracles that are happening. We can't deny the salvations that are happening. And so we began to go to different places. I kept working in Sudan for some years and uh, went to a place, another region in Sudan to go pioneer. Uh, I asked him, I asked the, it was the convention that I was working with there. I said, uh, where is the place that is the darkest and the dangerous in this nation? And I said, would you please send me there? I said, give me some place that no one else wants. And they said, well, but we've never had anyone ask that before. Uh, so we'll give you this region. They gave me the Upper Nile region in Sudan. They said, go, there's some pastor there uh, who's from this denomination that we've, we sent there five years ago and we've not heard anything from him. But occasionally, every a year or so, we'll hear back that he's alive. And we think he has a church, but we really don't know. <laughs> and they said, you have to take, it's two flights and an eight-hour boat ride and a hike to get there. I'm like, sign me up. That sounds wonderful. So I went there, and we started working in that region, and uh, we got to that place, and it was the middle, and literally the middle of the desert. It was uh, the local, the, 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 the NGOs that worked there called, the, called it the armpit of hell. They're like, it was, <laughs> it was the roughest part of, of East Africa I've ever been in. And you go there, it's just flat, flat desert everywhere you go, and there's one river that runs through it. So we go to work in that area, and uh, it was a place that had been just, just destroyed by the war. And so there were, the war was, it, it, it was just, it had been horribly affected. So we started, I started going there and I just was believing God for revival in that region. And so I spent about five years, all told, spent about five years going back and forth and believing God for revival. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me when I, when I landed there that we were going to see the blind eyes open, the deaf ears would hear, and that many thousands of people would come to Jesus. So as I set my feet there, I'm thinking, okay, all right, bring the blind, bring the deaf, let's, let's do it. And so I started going in every church service. I'd pray for blind. I'd pray for deaf. I'd pray for lame. I'd pray for crippled. Nothing. 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 For five years, I was continuing to work in that area. And I saw nothing. Everywhere else I would go in the world, I was still traveling other places. Power of God was being poured out in incredible ways. That place, nothing. Not one miracle. Uh, occasionally, occasionally like a headache would get better or something like that. And we'd be like, okay. This is awesome. All right, we're, we're, we're pressing forward. But I'd pray for the blind. I'd pray for the sick. And nothing, nothing would happen. And I began to ask that. I began to cry out for the Lord. And I began to learn in that season that when God gives a promise, oftentimes we think, okay, God said it. Therefore, in three minutes, it's going to happen. I'm going to tell you the reality. I want to be very honest with you. Some of you have promises of God over your life that you've been waiting on for five, six, seven, eight, ten years even. Sometimes, some of you even more, where you've been clinging on to something God has said and it's not happening. What do you do when God has spoken something over your life or put a passion in your heart that you're not yet seeing fulfilled, that you're not yet seeing happen? What do you do with that? 
Many of us expect that when God gives us a calling, that when God says something over our life, we'll never encounter opposition. That's a lie. There will be opposition. You, you cannot be a warrior without a war to fight. Hey, you are called. We are called into the war. And when we're called into the war, the reality is there will be warfare. And what are you going to do when the enemy comes up against you? What are you going to do? One of the things that I think is one of the, I guess, the great forgotten virtues in the church is long-suffering. You know, many of us want the gift of faith. We want the gift of power. We want the gift of miracles and healing. And it's wonderful. But there's one of the, the fruits of the Spirit that sometimes we forget about, and that's that fruit of the Spirit called long-suffering. And it doesn't mean that you suffer long. It means that you have patience. It means that you're willing to stand on the promise of God, even when you're not yet seeing it fulfilled, to stand on the promise of God. So we spent, I spent some years working in that area, crying out for God, praying for the blind, praying for the sick, praying for people, not seeing anything. Went back, actually about six months before we were, we were set to get married. Um, I went back. We, we felt the Lord leading us to transition out of that area. I was going to work in another part of Africa at that point. And I was back, and I was visiting, and I asked them to say, take me to the place. Uh, there was a place that they'd never, they never, none of the locals would ever go with me to. And it was, they called it the place where the devil lived. I'm like, let's go there. Let's go there. That sounds like the right place to go if we want revival. And it was this area that basically was a huge stronghold for witchcraft, and there was a certain group of witches that controlled this entire area. And they said, you know, across this river, we don't go. Christians don't go across that river, and if you go across there, it's very likely that they'll kill you. And I'm like, that's where I need to go. So it took me about a week or two to convince them. And finally, the pastors there, we grew the, the one church there to about 10 churches, actually, over that five years. So we, the churches were being growing and being planted and everything like that. Finally, that pastor said, all right, you can go. You, basically, in his own nice African way, he was saying, if you want to go die, you can go die. And uh, he said, I will uh, not go with you. But he's, but we'll send our youth. They sent their youth with me. They sent the, the youth from the church. I don't know why they did. They sent their youth and one elder, one of the elders, like not an elder in the church, but like an elder in the village because he had two wives. He couldn't be an elder in the church. And so they sent him with me, and they sent him with me because he was good at fighting lions. And so they, he's an old, older gentleman, and they said, all right, you go with this guy and go with, the, uh, go with the youth. I don't know why they sent their youth with me. I would not have sent my youth with me. But um, we go across this river, and we, we hike over the swamp and everything, and uh, as I step over into this place, I hear the voice of the devil audibly, and he says to me, I said, I'm going to kill you. And uh, he says, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, <laughs> he said, he said audibly, I, I, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to kill you. And I'm just sitting there going, okay, what do you do in that situation? What do you do when the, in the when the pushback from the warfare is so strong where you actually hear the enemy you hear the enemy, what the enemy's plans are for your life. You begin to confess the plans of the Word of God. So I started praying. I just prayed in tongues. Praying in tongues. And God did a, God did a miracle, actually. It saved my life while I was there um, from a black mamba. And I almost got bitten by a black mamba. But it was a, no, that's another story. But we were going along, and God supernaturally pr protected me. But what I want to share is this. We had been going, and I had malaria. I'd been, so I was real sick. I'd lost about, about 30 pounds from getting getting sick, and we were hiking through swamps and villages, and we were taking, I carried a projector with a Jesus film on my back, and we'd go and hike into these villages, and uh, I know I, I don't look like it at the moment, because I've been living in Mexico, and the food is a lot better there, but uh, I used to hike, you know, long distances and stuff, and carry 
carry the Jesus film projector on my back, and we'd show the Jesus film in local languages. So we'd been doing that in all these villages there. We were seeing many people receiving Christ. But then we came to this one place, and I just remember being, been five years there, I was thinking, God, have we accomplished anything in our time here? What have we done in all this, this time of, of serving in this area? I've had malaria more times than I can remember. I've lost, I've, I've gotten sick. I've had, it, it, the devil has told me he's going to kill me. And I just, God, what have we accomplished here? We came into this one little village. And in this village, there were these, this little old blind lady. And uh, she was there. She was a widow. Her daughter was also a widow from the war. And they had little, little children around. There were two widows. And they, hey, you came in. I mean, you can't imagine a, a poorer place. They didn't have anything. They were getting their water out of these dirty little jerry cans from a little mud hole down the road. And they would walk and carry the water. And this little old lady was blind. And she'd been blind for many years, actually. And her daughter was doing her best to take care of them. Both of them had lost everything. They were on the outskirts of the village, far away from anybody that could really care for them, which meant in that culture, it meant that they had no one to protect them and no one to care for them. So they were so, because they were so far away from everyone else. I remember going up and laying hands on that lady, just like I'd done for many, many other people before. And I laid hands, no one else had been healed there. And I laid hands on that one blind lady. And as I laid hands on her, I, my exact prayer was this. I want to be real honest with you. This was my prayer. God, if you don't show up, I quit. As I said, if you're not with me, if you're not here with me, I don't want to be here either. God, I will do whatever you tell me to do, but if you're not with me, I quit. God, I, I quit. I can't. If you don't show up, I quit. And then and I just, I was, I was somewhere between just completely brokenhearted and mad. You ever been in that place? And as I laid hands on her, I just said that prayer. I had my eyes closed. She reached up. She grabbed my shirt and she says in Dinka, Dinka Padang is her language, she said, she said, I see you. I see you. I looked at her and I asked her in the language, I said, you see me? She said, I see you. And she said, and I see that chicken. And I see there's my grandchild. And there's this. And I've never seen my grandchild. And this. And she just goes rattling off and everything she could see. And I dropped to my knees. And the, the, the daughter, the mother received the Lord. And I fall on my knees. And I say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I was ready to quit. I said, but God, I'll never, be, I'll never quit again. If you're with me, I'll never quit again. If you said you're with me, whether I see another miracle or not, I will continue to press in for miracles. Because sometimes we, 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 sometimes we think about, we, we hear people like Heidi and Bill Johnson and Randy and all these others, and we, we see almost the, the end product of their journey. Because they're ones that are approaching the finish line, and we think, wow, we'll, we'll never get there. I want to tell you, I know some of those. I know some of those, and they're amazing men and women of God. But I'm going to tell you, they've had journeys just like this. And they've made it somewhere along the way. Everyone who is truly a victor, Somewhere along the way, we make, you make a decision not to quit. And it has to be a decision to choose not to quit. Because there are many people who quit on God right before their greatest breakthrough. There are many people who stop right before the finish line. That's why the Apostle Paul said, run the race. Run the race. Don't stop. Don't let up. Don't lay back. Run the race. Whenever I see something that does not line up with what I know the Word of God says, we have a choice. Believe the experience that we've just had or believe what the Word of God says. Because when we believe what the Word of God says, that will never fail us. And I want to share with you out of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. Ha! There's two things I want to share. Isaiah chapter 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. Ha! 
He saw the Lord. This is the key. If you want to finish strong, you have to see the Lord high and lifted up above your circumstances. If you want to finish strong, if you want to continue in the call of God, you have to see the Lord above it all. You have to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because if you fix your eyes on anything else, even if you fix your eyes on your calling, your calling will always fall short. But if you fix your eyes on Jesus, Jesus will never fall short. If you fix your eyes on miracles, you will always be disappointed. But if you fix your eyes on Jesus, you will never be disappointed. Because He is the one who brings the miracles. The year that King Uzziah saw the Lord high and lifted up above it all. When when you need to look at Jesus high above it all, I've been in many nations, and as I've preached this gospel, I've preached it in Buddhist nations, Hindu nations, Muslim nations, communist nations. It doesn't matter what kind of system of government is in place in the world. What matters is the kingdom of God is above it all. And when we go into places, we see the kingdom of God invading in some of the darkest nations around the world. We are seeing the kingdom of God invading in incredible ways. That we've, we've seen so many stories about how God is breaking into even spheres of government. Even in spheres and places where there's great darkness, God is breaking in and bringing incredible revival. So Isaiah looks and he sees the Lord above it all. And he sees the seraphim, he sees the glory of the Lord all around and the train of the Lord's glory was all around. And the angels cried out and they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at that sound, the door, doorpost and the threshold shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Then Isaiah said, Woe is me, because I'm undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Hey, so the first step is to see and to see, and when you see, seeing him as he is will shake you down to the, the core of who you are. Because you got you better believe that as the threshold and the doorpost shook, Isaiah also shook. Because when Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord, you know, the glory of the Lord, we preach about the glory, and oftentimes the danger in our charismatic Pentecostal theology is to talk about the glory in such a way where it, it's almost a, just something we come and experience on Sundays. But the glory of God is something even greater than just simply falling down or just simply being touched. The glory of God is encountering Him as He really is. And then carrying that encounter the rest of your life. Then living out of that place of an encounter. Hey, so Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord and it shakes him. I'm going to tell you something. If you've never truly been shaken by the Lord, then you're not ready for what he you're not ready to carry the glory. You cannot carry the glory without being shaken first. And the shaking is this. It's everything the enemy can throw at you. That's shaking obviously. But the true shaking is encountering him as he really is. Because Isaiah saw him, and as he saw him, it shook something in him. And it's interesting because Isaiah was already a, a prophet. He was already recognized as a prophet. But then he gets into this place where he sees God as he is. And there's nothing, hey, nothing he can do. Nothing he can do because he was confronted with the reality of who God was and who he was. And oftentimes the, we need to encounter the reality of the holiness of God so that we can have the unholiness inside of us ripped out. Because that's what brings holiness, is when we encounter God as He is. So Isaiah, hey, is in this place of encountering God, and everything's being shaken in him. And he cries out and he says, Woe is me, because I am undone. 
I, I like the Spanish version because it says, woe is me because I'm dead. I'm dead because I'm a dead man because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Remember, I went with uh, Randy Clark one time on a mission trip to Taiwan. And I thought I was, it was right after I'd been, it was after I'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. I'd been working in Sudan for a number of years at that time. And I went on this mission trip, and I was like, this man heals the sick like, like anything I've ever seen. I want to go learn how to heal the sick. I want to go learn how to minister there. So I went on one of their mission trips. And uh, so I go on this mission trip, and we're in this stadium event in Taiwan. And I, I thought I was there to minister and, like, pray for healing and everything like that. But the moment I got there, I had this encounter with God that was unlike anything I'd ever had. And uh, in this encounter with God, I think it was Randy or someone that prayed for me, but I flew back across the, uh, across the yard. It was actually just in like the ministry time preparation before the meeting. It wasn't like any, anything like all that serious. And uh, there was ministry time preparation where he comes along and prays for you. And I fly back and I'm stuck on the ground. And I'm in this, this just stuck, it's like this, just stuck, completely stuck on the ground. Couldn't move. But it was, uh, you know, a lot of people have experiences like this. And they come back with like visions of angels and heaven and gold dust and things like that. It wasn't like that for me at all. I didn't see anything. I didn't see angel. I didn't see seraphim. I didn't see any of that. Let me tell you what I felt. I felt like someone had plugged me into the wall, wall socket. And I felt electricity going through my body. Hey, going through my body. And I felt like I was going to die. I felt a fire. I felt like someone had poured gasoline on, hey, on me and lit me on fire. And inside, maybe out, I don't know if I was screaming on the outside or just on the inside, but inside I was going, ah, because it was the most terrifying thing I've ever experienced. But I knew that the holiness of God, you know, one of the words for the glory is the word kabod in Hebrew, and it means the weight, the weight of God's presence. Hey, the, you know, you realize God's presence has a weight. That's why people fall down. It is that, it is that manifest kabod, that manifest presence of God that actually comes on us. And sometimes, hey, sometimes we can't even stand because that presence of God is so much on our lives. And the reason that's on us is because it, it needs to crush things out of us. And it needs to take us lower. Because unless we go low, we can't go high in Him. Does that make sense? We're called to first go low because we have to humble ourselves. I'm telling you, it's a better thing for you to humble yourselves than for God to have to humble you. So I was in that place and God's presence was on me. And I remember screaming and saying, God, you're going to kill me. You're going to kill me. I can't remember if I shared this on Friday. I had two encounters like this. So I might have shared the one, a uh, different one on Friday night. But this one was the most powerful. And uh, I remember laying on the ground and this, feeling this weight of God's presence. And I think my eyes were open, but I couldn't see anything. And I felt like I was being electrocuted, burned, and crushed all at once. It's a wonderful feeling. <laughs> and I'm laying there and I'm screaming and in, inside I'm screaming, God, you're going to kill me. You're going to kill me. And the Lord said to me, good. Unless you die, I can't use you. Unless you die, I can never and I will never use you. And at that point, I realized I had a choice. Whether I would partner with the Holy Spirit or partner with my flesh. Because then, I'm going to tell you something. There is something that needs to happen in the life of every believer where we come into the presence of God, not because someone forced us, not because someone made us, but we come, we bring ourselves into the presence of God, and we say, God, even if it kills me, I want everything you have for me. Even if it kills me, I want everything you have. I want you, whatever it takes. Hey, whatever you have to kill. So then I realized I had a choice, and I started saying, God, kill me. 
kill whatever it takes in me. And I know that sounds like a, a radically dangerous prayer because it is. To tell the King of creation, the Lord of heaven and earth, God, kill whatever it takes in me. Hey, kill whatever it takes in me so that I can host your glory. Kill whatever it takes in me just so I can know you more. Because I tell you, one of the things that needs to be killed out of every minister and every, uh, every min- everyone who wants to be a minister of the gospel is that need to be needed and that need to be known, that desire to be known. Because if you can have that, allow that, the Holy Spirit to kill that out of you to the point where you don't care whether anyone knows your name, God will use you like you've never imagined before. There are so many people that are hungry for God to, to use them in a big way that they're not willing to embrace all of the small moments that it takes for God to truly tra- transform your heart. I want to tell you some of my heroes are not the ones that often stand behind the pulpits, but they're the ones that are completely in secret that most that you'll never know their, their real names. But they're men and women of God who have a very simple walk in faith. And that simple walk in faith with Christ is what has enabled them to raise the dead and heal the sick and cast out devils unlike anything we've ever imagined before. There was one of our, one of our pastors in one of the nations where we work. I can't say which one. And he was going along and he uh, was just going to visit a small house church he'd planted. And in that nation, there's a, there's a lot of persecution against believers. And as he was going along, uh, he walked by a river and he sees that there was someone there by the river weeping, a man like searching in the river and searching for something and weeping. And so he goes up to the man and he asks him, what's wrong? And the man says to him, he said, my, my son fell in the water and drowned. And he said, I can't find him. So I can't find where he's at. And he said, uh, would you please um, help me? So he jumps in the river. He starts trying to help him. And finally, after a while, they, after about 40 minutes or an hour, they find the boy's body. And so they bring the boy's body up to the, they bring him up to the, to the shore. And the father was just, just distraught. And the father says, he says, I don't, he said, I don't know what to do. And the, the young man who was the pastor, very young believer, probably, I think he'd been a believer about a year at that point. Because we, in that, in that area, we have so few Christians, we have to raise up ministers very fast. And oftentimes we've lost, we've lost multiple ones. And so we have to raise them up fast because they have to replace others that have been killed. And so they, uh, this young man says, you know, don't worry, I'm going to pray. And he said, I'm gonna, can I pray in the name of Jesus? And the, and the father said, I don't care what you do, but please try, try anything. So the young man goes up and he lays hands on him. He starts praying in the name of Jesus. And after about 40 minutes, the boy's body comes back to life. And he spits out water and he was healed. The boy was completely healed in that moment, and uh, and this. But I'm going to. I'm sharing this for this reason, that no one will ever know that young man's name, besides me and a few others. No one will ever know his name. You know, you don't need to be known. You need Jesus. You don't need to be seen. You need Jesus. You don't need to be needed. You need Him. And when you get those things straight and allow the Holy Spirit to crush and break every ambition in your life and every ambition in your ministry, then at that point you can walk into this life truly free. Because if you fear God, there's nothing else left to fear. Does that make sense? The one who fears God is the most bold and courageous person on this planet because if you fear God, what else can you fear? If you've met the living God and He has encountered you and He has killed you to your old self and raised you up to a newness of life, what is there left to be afraid of? 
I told people before, people said, oh, you can't go to that place. You're going to die. It's too dangerous. What, what are they going to threaten me with? Heaven? What, what's really? What, what's the most intimidating? What's the most terrifying thing that can happen to a believer? We die and go to heaven? Come on. We follow Jesus with all of our hearts. What's the worst that can happen? We die and get, get to see Him. Get to see the one that we've always wanted to see. See, we need to be shaken by His very presence. His presence needs to shake you. It needs to undo you. Isaiah said, I am undone because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims to him that had a coal that he had taken with the tongs from off of the altar. And the symbolism in this, I don't have time to get into all of it, but the symbolism in this is beautiful because the altar is the place of sacrifice representing the sacrifice of Jesus, the atonement of Jesus on the cross for us. And that coal represents the fire of the Holy Spirit. And he comes to Isaiah, and what does he do? He touches his lips. What did Isaiah say was his problem? His lips. He says, woe is me because I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, and when that angel flies unto him, it touches him with the tongs from off of the altar, touches him with the fire, with the coal. And when that fire touches his lips, the angel says, Behold, this fire has touched your lips, and your sin is taken away, and your guilt is purged. A fire of God is not just for us to have an experience. The fire of God is to transform our hearts. But let me tell you what the fire of God then does in our lives. It enables us to hear. Because without the fire, we can't hear His voice clearly. Because then Isaiah says, Then I heard the Lord say, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? It's very interesting because up to that point, he had not heard the Lord say anything. He saw angel, he's heard angels. He saw the glory. All of those things he saw. And he heard other things. He, see, he saw the smoke. He saw the train of the, the, the glory of the Lord. But he had not yet heard the voice of God. Because his heart had to be purified. What I want to ask you a question today is, what is it that is stopping you from truly being able to step into your destiny? What is it that's stopping you today to step into everything that God has for you? What is it that's holding you back? For Isaiah, it was his lips because he recognized he was a man of unclean lips. What is it for you? Now, I don't know what that meant for Isaiah. Maybe, maybe he cussed a lot. I don't know. Maybe Isaiah just recognized he had a problem, but obviously there was some kind of a generational curse because he said, I come from a people of unclean lips. See, Isaiah had a calling on his life to be a prophet to the nations. And what was he called to use? His lips. What did the enemy distort? His lips. He distorted his mouth. He, he tried to impair his ability to speak because that was the calling on Isaiah's life was to be a prophet and to speak the Word of God. So when Isaiah was touched by the fire, he was touched by the fire in the very area of his weakness. And then after being touched in the area of his weakness, then he began to hear God's voice. And in hearing God's voice, he suddenly he had a message to give to the nation and to the nations because his, he was one of the most prolific writers of the, of the prophets. Isaiah encountered that fire. And that fire transformed him. It touched him. It burned him. Hey, so that he could then step fully into his destiny. We need the fire. 
We need the fire. When my wife and I, when God called us to Mexico, it was a very much of a surprise. I don't know if anyone was here in the first service, but she probably shared a little bit of the story. But uh, when God called us to Mexico, we never dreamed, we never imagined we'd be living in Mexico. We, we always thought we'd be living in somewhere else in Africa or somewhere. But when God called us to Mexico, he spoke to us that there would be a great revival coming to Mexico. And we're beginning to see the, the first waves of that revival coming in now. Hey, and uh, it's incredible what God is doing now in our nation. Well, let me tell you, when we first moved there, we had great words about revival. We had great words about renewal, fire of the Holy Spirit. We came to Mexico. We moved to Reynosa in the middle of the cartel wars. We were thinking, okay, we're going to go, and God's glory is going to be poured out. We planted a church within about, oh, really within about three months. We grew from no, no people to like 50 or 60 people in three months. The church was growing. People were being healed of cancer. The diseases were being healed left and right. Powerful miracles were happening. I left for a short trip to Africa. I came back, and our co-pastor had taken the church, like taken it from me, kicked us out, came in. He owned the building so he could do it. And so he came in. Next thing we know, we got kicked out. The church didn't – they decided they wanted, they wanted us to – they wanted to go with us, and so he kicked them out too. He owned the building we were living in. So he threw all of our stuff out in the street. And so we came back. We had no house, no church, almost no, no ministry. We had people, but they didn't have anywhere to go. And we literally came back from Africa, and everything was, was over. Every, we thought we looked like everything was over. It looked like the very, and that was the person that had begged us, come to Reynosa, come serve here in this city. And that was the very person that betrayed us. I'm just being very honest with you. Can I be honest with you today? So we're there going, God, what do we do? We have no people. We had no money. I'll share you this story. This is a hilarious story. I had been, most of our supporters were still from the, the old denomination I was part of. When we got connected in with the renewal, with the revival movement, about a week before we moved to Mexico, we get a letter saying, basically, you have a choice. These, these people that wrote us the letter represented about 90% of our support. They wrote and they said, you have a choice. Either you continue with the this crazy renewal, revival, Toronto, Iris, all those people. Well, they sent me a John MacArthur book and about strange fire. And they said, no, listen, you can either stay with these crazy revival renewalists you're, you're with, and uh, we will drop you. Or you can, you can go to Baptist seminary. I'm sorry, you can go to seminary and you can, or any other denominational seminary, seminary and we will uh, equip you and we'll train you and we'll continue to support and fund you, but you have to break your ties with, with, all the, with anything of the renewal. And so I just, uh, we, we knew there was no, no choice and no, there was no choice to be made. We, we'd already decided. So we said, Lord, we, we, we commit. We're, we're doing that. So we moved to Mexico and one, with one letter, we lost 90% of our support. Then our other major supporter dies. And so then we're, we had about 95% of our support at that time. So we moved to Mexico on about 5% of the support we, we had, we'd had. So we moved to that, that nation. We plant the church, and the church gets split. And all these, it splits, and we have people, we have no building. And so then somebody who was, was a major cartel leader for the area comes up to me, and he was like, Pastor, he said, we heard about what's happening with, for you. And he said, I want to offer you an apartment. So he gives us an apartment rent-free. So I always think it's funny. The Christians, like, kicked us out, rejected us, and then the cartel took us in. So praise God. <laughs> and so that man actually has completely changed, completely transformed. He's out, and he's, he's a, a man of God now. But uh, he, he helped us in a season that was very, very difficult. And so we were, we were there we were in the city, all this violence happening around the house we'd lived in at that time. We were on a dirt street. 
we uh, we didn't have we had a we had an outer gate and we had one door on the house, but there was missing a wall, and so we didn't have doors on our rooms. So the yeah, we had curtains, so the dust was coming in and all these things. So it was it was a wonderful experience, a wonderful time. But I, I'm sharing this for a reason. This is why I'm sharing this because there is a, a season of pressing and crushing that has to happen to you for you to be able to step into the fullness of everything God has. I'm not saying you have to be poor. I'm not saying you have to do you have to throw away everything. But I'm saying you have to be willing. If you're willing, if you're willing to give up everything then at that point you will see, you, you, you will gain everything. Does that make sense? If you're willing to give up, if you hold everything loosely and you're saying, God, whatever you want to take, take it. He will, but then he'll give it back. And it'll be better than what you've ever imagined. So we were there in this season. It was the year, year from hell. It was a challenging, difficult year. We went through that time. We battled some sicknesses. We had battled some other issues. And uh, we were saying, God, we will not stop. And we will not quit. We're here until we die or until you move us. But we will not leave this place until we see revival. And then we, we were in Toronto. We went to Toronto and we actually got, uh, the first time we went, and God really healed our hearts. And then while we were in Toronto, I had a vision. And in that vision, uh, God took me into this place where there was a harvest, a huge harvest field. And I saw myself, hey, in this harvest field, and I was harvesting wheat as fast as I could with a sickle. And that sickle, I was working as hard as I could, and I was harvesting wheat, harvesting wheat, but I'd only done just a little part. It was the clearest vision. I don't have a lot of visions, but that was one of the clearest I've ever had in my life. And I'd only harvested a little place about this side, and I was bringing in harvest as fast as I could. I was working as hard as I could, but I couldn't get it done. And in the vision, I heard myself, and I saw myself throw the sickle down, and I said, God, it's too much. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. God, I, I, I can't do it with this tool. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and suddenly I was in the vision and I was there and I could see, see everything around me and the Holy Spirit spoke to me in the vision. And he asked me, he said, son, do you want to build your ministry or do you want to give birth to a movement? Hey, do you want to just build a ministry or do you want to give birth to a movement? And I said, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes in me, I want to sur I surrender all. I want to give birth to the movement of what you want to do in Mexico, whatever what you want to do in the nations. So in that point, I, be, I fell back and I saw this fire. Hey, this fire hit me in the chest. And this fire fell and just began to burn in me. And I felt this fire tangibly in the, in, in the real life and in the vision. I'm feeling this fire. And I see and I hear the Holy Spirit say, dedicate yourself to prayer and to fasting and stay in my fire. And all of a sudden, out of the fire from heaven, I was seeing these combines. You know what combines are? It's big tractors that have these, these arms on the front and they, they bring in harvest. They, they harvest very fast. They harvest wheat or corn. And uh, they were falling down in the field first by the, 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 the dozens, then by the hundreds. And these combines, hey, were falling into the field and they were bringing in the harvest. Just going through the field, bringing in the harvest. And they were coming, hey, being birthed out of a place of fire. And I actually saw people in the, the driving the combines. And some of them I knew. Others of them I, I, I met them later when they came to work with our ministry. And I recognized them and I knew they were supposed to work with us because I saw them in visions. And I saw them driving combines. And so and when um, all this started happening, the, this, this harvest started being brought in. And I came out of that vision. Hey, and I was like, God, what do you want to do? He said, go back to Mexico and you'll see. And so we went back to Mexico within six months. Everything changed. Within six months, we went from just, there was four of us missionaries 
to, we went from four to 20. Four missionaries to 20 in six months. We went from just, uh, well, we had one church and then lost that church. And then uh, we went from that to now there's like 20-something churches. And all of a sudden, we started having people going out and planting works all around the, all around the world. Hey, and people started, now we're in like 12 different nations. And God is birthing, God is birthing incredible things. But I'm not sharing this for you to, to look at what we've done. What I'm really sharing this for is this reason. You need to press into the fire to encounter him yourself. Because in every one of us, there are things in our lives that when we get pressed, when we get pushed on, when, when the circumstances of life push against us, there are things in our life that come out that we don't like, that aren't good, that are against the Holy Spirit. And the Lord wants to come in and he wants to crash in and break those things down so that we can step in to everything he has for us to do. God wants to raise up in this church an anointing for multiplication. There is an anointing for multiplication that I believe God wants to release in this region of southern Florida, such as has never been seen before. Last night I was prophesying over, and I saw it so clearly over you guys as a house, that God was going to use you to raise up many churches in southern Florida and beyond. Hey, and what I believe the Lord is doing, what I believe the Lord wants to do, is He wants to give clean hearts to people, and He wants to give encounters to people so that they can step fully into the presence of God and be transformed by the presence of God so that when the circumstances of life come, you won't be swayed to the right or to the left. I'm not saying you're never going to want to quit. I usually want to quit about every third day, every other day, uh, if I'm just being honest. But let me tell you something about quitting. If you don't quit, you'll win. I think it's Heidi that said that. Heidi said, if you don't quit, you win. And it's true. The best way to win in the kingdom of God is just simply don't quit. Don't give up. Stay on the path. Follow Him with everything it takes. Keep pressing back in to that fire of the Holy Spirit. Hey, and then whatever is happening around you, press in more. When hell is breaking loose against you, press in more to that fire of the Holy Spirit. Because it is in that place that there will be a multiplication. When Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes, He first asked what they had. And then in asking what they had, they said, we have loaves and fishes. It's a hilarious story because you couldn't feed 5,000 people with just bread and fish. Jesus asked, what do they have? He didn't ask what they don't have. So many people, when God tells them, I want you to be a missionary, I want you to be a minister, they say, well, I don't have this or I don't have this. God is not interested in what you do not have. God is in not, interested in what you can not interested in what you cannot do. He is interested in what you have. And it doesn't matter even if that's what you have seems ridiculous. If you give it to him, look what he does though. He takes it, he breaks it. Without breaking, there cannot be multiplication. Without giving it to him, there cannot be multiplication. The problem is so many people in the West are more concentrated on what they don't have than what they do have. Everyone is dreaming for the, going for the American dream. And the American dream is really a bit of an illusion. The kingdom of God is the real dream for us. And the kingdom prosperity is not everything that the American dream has cracked it up to be. Kingdom prosperity means that you follow God with all of your heart and then all of these things will be added unto you. When you give everything to Him, He will take it and He will break it and then He will multiply things through you. So many people look at the masses, they look at the problems, and they say, the problems are too big. What can I do? 
How many of you ever wondered that? What can I do? The problem is so big. I've, I've spent so much of my life, probably the last, well, the last 10, to 10, 10 years or more, working in places where there's just incredible poverty and bad things happening. And I've looked around, and when you just look at the needs, you will become overwhelmed. When you look at the needs, you will become overwhelmed and you will get burned out. But when you look at Jesus and you hand Him what you have and say, God, this is ridiculous, but what I have, I give you. We have seen God multiply money. There was one time I was doing a conference in Ciudad Juarez. How am I doing on time? How am I doing on time? Way past, okay, sorry. <laughs> All right, I'll try to wrap up. Help me, Jesus. I was doing a conference, and uh, as I, I went out to the city, Ciudad Juarez, and I was doing a conference, we had about 400 pastors gathered together, and uh, we were doing this, this meeting, and there was a ministry that said, we're going to support you, we're going to pay for the food. So I got people that were cooking food, had food ready. And uh, the first night of the meeting, I get a phone call. We changed our mind. We're not, the money we were going to send you, we're not going to send you. I'm like, oh, what do I do? So I just, uh, I wanted to say some other things, but I didn't. I said, okay, thank you. We, we bless you. And, you know, uh, God changed his mind. All right, that's fine. And I uh, said, so we, we bless you guys. And I do bless them. They're friends of mine to this day. But I said, all right, we, we bless you guys. And uh, it's, it's okay. I'll, we'll figure it out. So I uh, was suddenly in a dilemma. I didn't have any money to pay for food. And uh, I asked the Lord, I said, what do I do? And the Lord said, take your money. Uh, I was in college in those days. And the Lord said, take your money for gas and your own food money, everything you have for yourself. He said, I want you to take it all and use that for the, to feed the pastors of the conference. So I said, okay. He said, uh, and I said, but how do I get home? Because I drove my little Crown Victoria car and it got, got very bad car gas mileage. And I said, how do I get home? The Lord said, don't worry about that. It'll work out. So I said, okay, I took every penny I had, every peso I had, and we, we used it for the conference. The glory of God came. We had just enough food. It was wonderful, powerful. I had no money at the end of the week. And I was stuck uh, about nine hours from my home, and my, even my, my credit card and debit card had just expired, so I didn't have any way to pull money. I didn't have anything. And I'm, just, I'm there in a foreign country in Mexico in college. I had to get back on Monday for classes. I, I, do, I would do things. I'd drive all night and go to Mexico, do ministry, and then I'd drive back all night, and I'd go back. So I had to drive back that night to make it back for, for university classes at 8 o'clock in the morning. So I'm like, God, there's no money. <laughs> How do I do this? And so I'm preaching in a church, and we're, uh, you know, the offering plate was coming around. And as is the custom, we pull out your wallet, even if you don't have anything, and you just, I'm just thumbing through it, just looking to see what's there. And this time I'd pulled out my wallet that I had searched very thoroughly before to make sure there was no money because I'd given everything I'd had. And I opened it up, and there was $200 in there that had not been there before. I'm looking at it, I'm, I'm like counting it, I'm like, it, it, was, it was amazing. And I, I, God made money appear where there was no money. We've had this happen, God has multiplied food. There was so many times where we've had food for maybe, maybe 50 people or 70 people, and we fed over 200. This has happened multiple, multiple times, two or 300, multiple times we've seen this happen. I've seen God multiply Bibles. I've seen God multiply school supplies. There's one time we took enough school supplies, we were doing kids rallies, and evangelistic events for kids, we had school supplies for 1,700 children. And we gave out school supplies, and we counted this. We documented this to over 4,000. Over 4,000 received, and we did not skimp on anything. We did not, uh, it, we just kept finding school supplies. We'd go out to the van, we'd take everything out of the van, and then someone would come back and say, who put these extra two boxes of school supplies in the van? We're like, we don't know, but we'll take it. So let me tell you something. 
What I believe God wants to do today is remove excuses. It's time to live a life of no excuses. So I, want, I shared these testimonies today because I believe there are many people here who have lived off of the excuse about I can't serve God because of what I don't have. And I believe the Lord is wanting to crash in and break lies. Maybe for you, that area was finance. Well, you need the fire of God to touch you in the area of your finance. Maybe for you, you have been saying, I can't serve God because I have this addiction. I have this problem. I have this issue. You need the fire of God to touch you in the area of your problem, just like Isaiah. Maybe for you, it's the area of your family. Maybe your family has been the reason you can't serve God. Well, you need God to come in and touch you in the area of your family so that you can serve God. What is it that has been holding you back from multiplying? What is it that's been holding you back from serving God? It's time to step in. It's time to step into the fire and allow Him to multiply. Because without the fire falling, hey, falling on us, hey, we cannot see the multiplication. Without the breaking, there cannot be the multiplying. So I want to just bless you guys, and I want you to stand to your feet now. If I could have somebody on the, the piano or or something, if any of the worship team can move, it's okay. If you can't, don't try to move if you can't move. But if there's anybody who can play anything that sounds good and has anointing, huh, I'd like to ask you to play something. Jesus. And I want to ask today, we're going to pray for those. If you need to be dismissed, if you need to go because of your kids, I know it's probably way past time. Forgive me for this. But if you need to go, we bless you. I want to pray over you now. But if you want to encounter that holy fire of the Spirit, if you need more, I want to ask you just to come now. If you're desperate, if you want to serve God, but there's been areas where you're like, I want to serve God, but I can't serve God, but there's this area. I feel like some of you today, hey, need to come to God with what's in your hands. And you need to extend to Him what's in your hands. Hey, some of you need to give up things. Some of you have jobs that have been, you're like, it's been, become an idol for you. Some of, for some of you, your career has become an idol. It's time to give that to Him. The Lord will not, serve, will not allow you to serve Him while you have idols in your heart because your idols will eventually become what you serve. For some of you, even it's been ministry that's been an idol and you need to bring it to Him. For some of you, your families have been idols and you need to bring them to Him. And you need to allow the fire to begin to transform you. So I want everyone just to take what's in your hands. Hey, imagine what's in your hands. Whatever you need to give up, whatever you need to lay down, whatever you need to allow Him to burn, I want you just to lift it up to Him and say, God, take it. Burn it, God. Burn it with a holy fire. Burn my life with a holy fire. In the name of Jesus. Just begin to cry out. Begin to cry out and say, burn me, God. Burn me, God. Burn me, God. With your own voices, begin to cry out. Say, burn me, God. Kill in me whatever needs to die. Burn in me whatever needs to be consumed with your fire. I break my idols before you right now, God. Fire of God. Fire of God.
Don't stop pressing in. Don't stop pressing in. Burn us with your fire, God. I want every voice crying out, crying out. Burn us with your fire, God. Burn us with your fire. Burn us with your fire, God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord on side. Burn us with your fire. Continue to press in. We're going to pray for everybody who wants prayer. Continue to press in. Ushers, we need you to clear out the first couple rows of chairs if you could. Just continue to press in, press in, press in, press in, press in. All who are thirsty, all who are thirsty, you will not leave unsatisfied. All those who are hungry, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, press in. Press in for more. Stir up your hunger. Stir up your hunger. Stir up your hunger. Press in for more. Thank you, Jesus. 